It is great to be here. It's great to be um, a present for this um, baptism celebration. Um, I, I didn't know um, how, how things were going to line up in terms of the passage, but the passage today is actually quite relevant So um, to baptism. We'll come back to that. Um, in August of 2009, the world was shocked to discover a girl that had been missing for 18 years and had been presumed dead was still alive. Her name was J.C. Duggard, and she was 11 years old when she was kidnapped by Philip Gerardo and his wife. During her 18-year captivity, she was raped by her male kidnapper, and she ended up giving birth to two daughters. The world applauded as Gerardo was sentenced to 431 years in prison. Today we're going to look at another story of a girl who was kidnapped and enslaved for many years. She made an impact. But I want to start with Jesus. At the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he tells his listeners in the hometown of Nazareth, this is in Luke chapter 4, he says to his listeners in Nazareth, there were many, many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. At this point in time, Jesus' listeners go ballistic and attempt to kill him by throwing him off a cliff. But he sneaks through the crowd and escapes. Why did they want to kill him? And how did Naaman get cleansed? Well, it all started out with this girl who was kidnapped. So I want to look at the original story that Carl has read for us about Naaman in 2 Kings 5 to see what made Jesus' listeners so mad. I'm going to jump ahead here. Um, but you guys are talking about making an impact this year. I'm going to focus on four passages, four stories from the life of Elisha, a man who made a big impact. Last week we talked about God provides. Today we're talking about God heals. Um, and in uh, February 23rd, God listens. March 1st, God saves. The person God heals here is Naaman the Syrian. There are few characters in Scripture that are introduced as positively as Naaman. The introductions of Elijah and Elisha mention nothing praiseworthy. These two prophets just appear out of nowhere. But here we have a list of four impressive qualifications about this foreign general. He was the commander of Aram's army. He was a great man in the eyes of his master. That's Aram's king. Aram and Syria are um, kind of synonymous. It's the, 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 the nation that's kind of northeast of Israel. Aram, Syria. Um, he was highly regarded and a valiant soldier. He was a military commander. He was the Aramaic equivalent of your favorite U.S. general. I don't know, George Patton. Some of you guys, some of us are a little older. David Petraeus or Colin Powell. I don't know. You're, he was the equivalent in Aram at that point in time. And in the midst of this impressive resume, though, there are a few surpri surprises. Naaman was favored by God. Yahweh had given victory to Aram because of him. Victory over whom? What nation? Well, the nation that Aram was at war with for this period of time was Israel. Wow. Now, Naaman had a lot of great things going on for him. 
But there was one problem. The Hebrew expresses his Achilles heel rather dramatically. In Hebrew, there are 22 words um, detailing Naaman's um, massive impressiveness. But it ends in a one-word conclusion. Metzora, leper. Naaman was a leper. This powerful man, loved by king and country, needed healing. The next character in the story we meet is Naaman's wife's servant girl. She could not be more different than Naaman. He's a male in a patriarchal culture. She's a female in a patriarchal culture. He's he's in the prime of life. She's young. He's an Aramean in Aram. She's a foreigner in Aram. He's a general. She's a slave. His name appears 11 times in this story. We never learn her name. Each of these differences highlight the contrast. He has all the power, she has none. Ah, but knowledge is power. And she knows something that he doesn't. She was kidnapped as a young girl, perhaps younger than J.C. Duggard at age 11, in a raid by the Arameans. Now we're not sure which um, soldier actually kidnapped her, but in the chain of command, Naaman was ultimately responsible. And she ends up serving Naaman's wife. It's it's reasonable to assume Naaman was behind her kidnapping. Now, it would also be be nice to assume that the soldiers treated her better than Garado treated young J.C., but that might be naive. We don't know. But soldiers back then weren't known toward being gracious towards their hosts, towards towards their foreign captors. And it would be nice to imagine that Naaman's wife treated her better than Garada's wife, treated young J.C., but that also might be naive. She was a slave and had to do whatever Naaman's wife commanded her to do. Female slaves were routinely mistreated by their mistresses. In Genesis 16, we see even a matriarch like Sarah mistreated poor Hagar. So how did this servant girl feel about Naaman, her master? She was a slave in a foreign land, cut off from her family, forced to serve the man who was responsible for her predicament. It would not be surprising for her to feel hatred, anger, bitterness. Now She may have felt those things, but her actions suggest otherwise. This girl understood something about God. God heals. Now when I speak positively about this girl, don't think that I'm somehow condoning her kidnapping or that victims should keep quiet. We don't know what took place between Naaman and and this girl, but she was clearly a victim. But the fact that she was a victim doesn't prevent her from sharing good news with the people who victimized her. Who is God calling you to share good news with? He may be calling you to share good news with someone who hurts you, an enemy. This Israelite servant girl tells Naaman's wife there's a prophet in Samaria. What does she say? She says he would cure him of his leprosy. Now there are a couple of shocking things here. 
about what she says. One, it's shocking that she wants her kidnapper to be healed. And two, it's shocking that she could be so confident about the power of her God while she is stuck as a slave in a foreign land. If I were her, I wouldn't be confident about what God was doing. I would just be complaining. She has faith not only that Elisha can do it, but he'd be willing to heal a foreign general who kidnaps Israelite girls. From Israel's perspective, Naaman was a slave-trafficking foreign enemy, almost like a terrorist. And that's what made Jesus' listeners mad in Luke chapter 4. And Jesus kind of rubs it in their face there. There were many lepers in Israel during the time of Elisha, but none of them were healed except Naaman the Syrian. For Jesus, the gospel means even slave-trafficking foreign enemies receive healing from God. And what's shocking about Naaman? He believes the word of this servant girl. He was at the top of the food chain. He had all the power. She was at the bottom of the food chain. She had none. Why does he listen to her? I think it was her boldness. It was her bold. On her own, she may have no power, but she realizes that God is ultimately sovereign, and he, and through the man of God, God has power over leprosy. (laughs) Another sort of amazing, surprising thing here is that Naaman, in his desperate, desperate attempt to be healed, is willing to go, based on the word of this foreign girl, on what could appear to be a wild goose chase in enemy territory. During this dark time in the divided monarchy of Israel, there is a series of females who provide models of faith, trust, and devotion to God as they interact with and bless the prophets Elijah and Elisha. All four of these faithful females remain anonymous. In the story of Elijah, there was a widow from Zarephath who fed Elijah. And last week we talked about two of them. The prophetic widow, widow whose oil was multiplied and the Shunammite woman who hosted Elisha. And then here, this Israelite slave girl who served Naaman's wife. They lack the honor of a name. We don't even find out their name. But the text portrays them very favorably. While Israel's rulers were trying to kill God's prophets... These females were feeding God's prophets. While Israel's rulers were trusting in false prophets, these females were trusting in God's prophets. While Israel's rulers were displaying their faithlessness, these females were displaying their faithfulness. As these stories are taught, it's easy to focus on the prophets and their mir- Elijah and Elisha and their miracles, but let's not forget these anonymous women who teach us about hospitality, about prayer, about faithfulness. We can learn from this example of this young girl. Naaman Naaman could. This young girl knew that God heals. So Naaman goes to his master, the, the king, the king of Aram, who sends with Naaman a letter 
and a gift, as this, this, this gift was going to somehow purchase the healing. The silver and the gold alone from this gift would be the equivalent of three quarters of a billion dollars. <laughs> wow. When the king of Israel reads the king of Aram's letter, he starts to panic, thinking the Aramean king is setting him up for a fall, kind of pick a fight with him, because he thinks the healing of Naaman is impossible. And it's going to make him look bad. Unlike the servant girl, the ruler of the people of God lacks faith that God heals. Elisha somehow finds out about the king's panic and he sends a messenger saying to, to send Naaman to see him for a healing. So Naaman kind of knocks on the door, rings the doorbell. Elisha sends down basically his butler, his servant, to give Naaman a message. He says, go dunk in the Jordan seven times and you will be restored. So at this point in time, I thought it's appropriate. We've got to show a picture of a Jordan dunking. I mean, come on. Okay, some of you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. This is from 32 years. Okay, a Jordan dunking. All right, okay, but I'm bummed. Yes. Yes, all right. <laughs> Pastor Ben thought that was funny. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Dunk in the river. Dunk in the Jordan. Now, Naaman, this, this, isn't, this is not what Naaman was expecting. He's offended. Elisha doesn't even come out to see him. He wants Elisha to come out and kind of wave his magic wand and pray and heal him. And then he says, who wants to bathe in the nasty Jordan River when the rivers of Aram are far superior? Now, realistically, the Jordan at this place was a little bit muddy, and the rivers of Aram, were, they were like mountain streams, so they were probably cleaner. Okay. But the Israelite servant girl was willing to help her foreign master. He wasn't willing to bathe in a foreign river. Now his statement is it's basically racist here. Aram's rivers are better than Israel's rivers. Fortunately, one of his own servants speaks up in the voice of reason and urging him to say, hey, it can't hurt to try. You would have been willing to do a lot more. Let's just go dunk in the river. And to Naaman's credit... He listens to his servant now a second time. You, you can imagine his, his expression a little bit like a kind of a reluctant child, like, okay, I'll do it. But he's kind of pouty about it, right? He goes down and washes in the Jordan River, in the Israelite River. And what happens? He's healed. Symbolized in baptism, right? We did it here today. This, this, this symbol, I mean, there was John the Baptist starting out in the Jordan River, not far from where this happened. This symbol of healing, of cleansing, of reconciliation at the river. Naaman didn't listen. If Naaman did not listen to the voice of his servants, he wouldn't have been healed. The servant girl was the initial catalyst, and this group of servants was the final impetus. The story could have left out this bits, these bits of the story, the, the, the narrator, the crucial role they played. But the, the, the text includes them for a reason, because God uses unexpected people to accomplish his purposes and to bring people into relationship with him. 
they made an impact. Do you listen to people that are below you in status or rank? That's hard. It's hard. Um, some, of you thinking, or some of you may be thinking, well, there's not really anybody that's below me in status or rank. Okay, and it may feel like that sometimes. But whether you're a student, a child, a mom, or maybe unemployed, I don't know. There are still people that are below you in status. Waitresses, waiters, people, um, children maybe that are supposed to do what you say, or people that take out your trash. Oh, that's, that's naming at the, at, the, at the Jordan. Sorry, I got ahead of myself here. This is David. David is my friend, and he, he takes out my trash at the seminary that I work at. He's an international student from, from Burma. And um, when I signed a copy of, of my book for him, he posted this picture on Facebook. I learn from David every time he comes into my office. He blesses me with his smile and his positive attitude. I'll be stuck in the middle of something. I'll have this little interaction with David, and then I'm just blessed. Naaman's willingness to listen to people with less power than him meant he got healed. God speaks to us through people that have less status. Now, after his declaration, Naaman returns to thank Elisha. That this, the fact that he's healed of leprosy and comes back and gives thanks reminds me of a story in Luke 17 of the ten lepers that were healed. There was only one, the foreigner, that came back to give thanks to Jesus. Thank people who bless you. Previously, Elisha wasn't even willing to see Naaman, right? He, he just sent his butler to see Naaman. But this time, these two meet face to face. And it's a good thing, because Naaman makes an amazing declaration at this point in time. Let's see here. That's, that's Naaman. Okay, uh, here we go. Naaman makes this amazing declaration. This is what he says. Now I know there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. This foreigner, who was just a couple minutes earlier, he was unwilling to bathe in an Israelite river, now publicly declares his allegiance to an Israelite God. Wow. The God of the earth is the God of Israel. This Aramean general understood something about the realm of God's dominion that many Israelites, even the kings, couldn't figure out. God's realm is global. How did Naaman figure it out? He saw that God heals. Now, like a good general, Naaman is thinking strategically, and so he plans for the future. He first asks for two mule loads of Israelite dirt. <laughs> now, I don't know how much a mule load of dirt is. Maybe one of you guys could uh, enlighten me about that. But he... he, he had already, Yahweh had already given him his victory. While he was in, in Aram, he assumes that he needs to create an altar for the God of Israel um, in Aram, and it needs Israelite dirt. <laughs> okay. So he's a little bit off theologically here. <laughs> but Naaman also anticipates that he's going to be in situations where he's going to be worshiping the Aramean God that he has just denied the existence of. So he asks for forgiveness in advance. 
Unlike Israel's, Israel's king, Naaman wants to avoid any appearance of unfaithfulness to the God who he has just committed himself to worship. Now, there's a lot of theologically problematic things here with what Naaman says. But Elisha doesn't offer any doctrinal correction. But he merely emphasizes grace. Lech shalom. Go in peace. Go. What great word. Go in peace. I want to jump back to Luke chapter 4. What made Jesus' listeners mad when he mentioned Naaman? They liked it when he talked about God blessing their nation. God bless America, right? We love that. But when, when Jesus started talking about those nasty foreigners, that leopard named Naaman, they didn't like it. It doesn't make me mad that Jesus' message includes foreigners. I like it because from Israel's perspective, I'm a foreigner. And my guess is most of you are too. The good news about God is always moving out, always crossing barriers. And that's what Jesus understood. And that's what Naaman's servant girl understood. She shared good news with her foreign kidnapper, Naaman, about where he could go to get healed. Because the gospel crosses barriers and welcomes foreigners, we are here today. Christians should always be welcoming foreigners, even ones we might be a little worried about, even our foreign enemies. Naaman was an enemy from Israel's perspective, but that didn't prevent this young servant girl or the prophet Elisha to play, to, to play a role in, their, in his healing. Welcome foreigners to your schools, to your businesses, to your neighborhoods, even foreigners that you might be afraid of. They need to hear about God from you. Okay, so how did Naaman's needs get met? Well, ultimately, it was God. But God works through humans, often in a complicated process involving a lot of people. Elisha, the prophet of God, he played a key role. But it wasn't just Elisha. Remember the servant girl who got things started. Naaman's wife told her husband. The king of Aram sent Naaman to Israel. The king of Israel played a role despite his lack of faith. Elisha's messenger delivered the message. Naaman's servants pushed him over the edge when he wanted to go back to Aram. And Naaman himself was willing to be baptized in the, the, the Jordan River. The gospel works powerfully, not just through individuals, but through communities in a process. If you're willing to play a role like the servant girl in God's work of healing in someone's life, you, as a community, will make an impact. Okay, a couple final observations. It was shocking because it meant a kidnapping victim loved her foreign enemy and told him about a way to get healed by God. It was shocking because a man who was powerful, prestigious, and had had the favor of a king listened to a girl who was young, foreign, and had the status of a slave. It sounds like the gospel. 
Shocking, unexpected, and wonderful. As a person meets God, experiences God's healing, and puts their faith in him. Jesus liked this shocking story of Naaman so much that out of hundreds of Old Testament stories, it's the one he tells at the beginning of his ministry in Luke to share the good news that God is a God of healing. So about 800 years before Jesus, Naaman's Israelite servant girl was kidnapped and forced into slavery. About 400 years after Jesus, a British boy was also kidnapped in a raid and taken to serve in a foreign country to serve as a slave. After he was enslaved for six years in this foreign land, this boy finally escaped and returned home. But while he was home, he saw a vision where the people from the land of his captivity were calling him back and saying, hey, we appeal to you, holy servant boy, come and walk among us. Now, if you were that boy, what would you do? I would say, no, thank you. I'm done with the land of my captivity. Unfortunately, though, that boy was not like me. So Patrick... St. Patrick, returned to Ireland, the land of his oppression, and just like Naaman's servant girl, he told people about God and eventually established a church on that island. Love for enemies can lead not only to healing, but to lead many people hearing about God. Let's pray.